Hello everyone, welcome back to the Part-Time Gaffers podcast. My name's Delish and I am a delighted Liverpool fan this week. Well, it's easy to be when your team wins 5-0. My name is David and for some reason I'm actually not as depressed with the Arsenal result as I thought I would be because that Lacazette winner in the final minutes was so clutch and in fact it was the final seconds and it just had me off the edge of my chair and I was actually happy for a, a draw with Crystal Palace which... Maybe shows exactly how our <laughs> expectations have changed. Yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, it has. Um, so we actually want to start the podcast off with something cool. We are both using Spotify to check our podcast mostly, but we do push it elsewhere. And it's been pushed to Apple Podcast. And for those of you who don't know, we did a few episodes previously before this proper run where we wanted to get started, but we didn't really have enough time. And so we've gone back on Apple Podcasts and seen there is a review left for us from April this year for one of the older episodes we've taken down. And we just want to give a shout out to Brewio Bruman because you left us a lovely review, five stars. You said, I have to admit that I'm not an avid follower of the Premier League, but the part-time gaffers create content which is accessible even for the uninformed such as myself. Their mix of deep analysis, strong opinions, good banter, and love for the game makes for a great listen. Keep it coming. So we just wanted to give you a shout out, say a huge thank you. Hope you're still listening and we will keep it coming. At least I think that's the plan. That is definitely the plan. And I think we've definitely found our groove now. So uh, what is this now? Episode eight, 9. 8 weeks? Yeah. Actually, it's episode 10 because episode 8 was a two-parter. We had part A and <laughs> part B to get us through that long international yeah. break. We're well and we're rolling our way. Um, and we're doing well. I think it's it's feeling a lot more natural for both of us, so hopefully it makes for easier listening too. Yeah, definitely. And we've got a nice podcast for you today in fact i don't know why i say that every week it's always a nice podcast that's that's the whole plan here that's the game plan so we're starting off with reviews from last game week which just finished up and delish is going to take us through exactly how our predictions panned out i hope they did a little bit better but i'm not too we'll sure have they to did. wait and see yep <laughs> and then we will be doing overall or underrated again we're going to be bringing that segment back i know i've got a couple of spicy mentions in there so i'm assuming delish does as well i of course i do <laughs> and then we will be over and underrated <laughs> and then we'll be going into a combined first 11 for Manchester United versus Liverpool coming up next game week. And to be honest, I'm going to be quite harsh, so look out for that. And we'll be finishing with, as always, quick fire predictions. So, with that being said, let's get into it. <laughs> Welcome back. Gonna kick into a review of game week eight. And. David wanted me to outrightly say how well we did with our predictions last week. I'm not Wait, sure we did why well? Always... I heard well. <laughs> did we do well? I said how well we did. Oh, you got me excited. That now makes me think we didn't do very well. Yeah, we did all right. So in terms of David's predictions, um, he is as good as a coin flip. <laughs> uh, you got five results correct and five incorrect. And I'm a slightly biased coin flip. Um, I had six results correct and four incorrect. See, at least I'm balanced. So I think, if anything, at least you're balanced. <laughs> I'll take five 
and five rather than six and four any day of the week. <laughs> it matches up with me being a Libra. You know what? Scratch that. I don't want to bring horoscopes into this. It's complete nonsense. Well, I won't bring horoscopes into it. I was going to say it sounds like a man who's watched his team draw two all this morning. <laughs> okay. Okay. Too soon. Back off. We'll get there soon. So which were the key... Uh, games that we both got correct with our predictions and which ones were the surprises so in terms of ones that we predicted the same results uh there were six that we predicted the same result for and four that we didn't um ones that stand out were we both got the arsenal crystal palace game incorrect uh david you thought oh we both thought it was going to be an arsenal win which going on form coming into the game was a fair prediction um other ones that we both got false we both got the southampton leeds and norwich brighton results incorrect to be fair Uh, i don't think we can complain too much about that because those are both games where it's actually very hard to predict and it comes down to the slimmest of margins yeah and i agree and to be honest, well, we'll get to it in a bit, but the Southampton Leeds one was uh, a bit of a surprise, maybe to everyone watching the Premier League, apart from Southampton fans, because <laughs> 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 they probably think they're always going to win. As You see, I've is. been on the Southampton subreddit, and I don't think that is what they're thinking, Delish. I think you're so much in your Liverpool bubble that you don't realise other teams have realistic expectations. We don't go into every game expecting to win, unlike Liverpool fans. You guys could go into a game against Real Madrid, actually Barcelona doesn't matter right now. You could go against Bayern Munich, you could go against Chelsea, whoever. Well, You'll probably up. expect to win. We're going up against Atletico tomorrow morning, and I'm expecting to win. I'm expecting you to lose, actually, because Atletico is one of those teams where they just get on your nerves. They know exactly how to dissect the way you play and stop you playing your natural game. So that'll be interesting. But anyway, that is dissecting from the point. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's correct English, but anyway. I'm pretty sure it is. Diverting would probably be more correct, but I'm not in the business of choosing the perfect synonym. Sorry about that. Um, those were the ones that stood out. So I think overall, we're still not that great. I think I think we'll be doing good if we hit seven or more correct result predictions for about, I'm going to say, two or three weeks in a row. When we get to that point, then I'll be happy with saying that, yeah, we'd, we're pretty good at this. But for now, we're no better than a coin toss. Well... I'll take it. It means we're also no worse than a coin toss. And let's actually take that now into a review of the game week. Obviously, I'll let you have it. First off, Liverpool, you can spin your yarn. Go right ahead. <laughs> My yarn is that, well, we just outclassed Watford. It was the Don't say that under. like it's an impressive achievement. This team just started with a new manager and yeah, they're a promoted team. Don't come in here and say, oh, we outclassed Watford. Yeah, congratulations. Everyone expected you to. In fact, if you didn't win 2-0, I think most people would be disappointed. So (laughs) congratulations, but don't come in here on your high horse. (laughs) You did well, but you really should have done well. Okay, I'm 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 not going to say most of the stuff that I was about to say then. (laughs) Um, 
Nah, I think obviously it was it's good for us to see Firmino finally firing again. I think he got his second Premier League hat trick. Um and he's now I think he set some kind of record um for like most the Brazilian, sorry, this is it. He is now the Brazilian with the most Premier League hat tricks um in Premier League history, which is pretty cool. Um, Sadio Mane also scored his 100th Premier League goal, which is pretty special. Um, and it wasn't a penalty goal. Yeah, yeah. So, And that's the special thing about it is that he hasn't scored any penalties in the Premier League um, because Salah takes all of them. Um, <laughs> or, Firmino, or Firmino. I think the last hat-trick Firmino scored, Salah gave him the penalty to wrap it up, which is pretty nice. Um, and then obviously... Salah scored an absolute worldie, uh, which if you haven't seen right now, just stop this podcast, go do yourself a favor and find that on YouTube because it's, it's just magic. Um, you say which, that, but you messaged me after that game. I'm going to out you right here, right now. You messaged me after that game and you said, I mean, I get Salah scored a good goal, but like he scored better. Why is everyone going on about it? But he has. Oh, I, I stand think by that. I think that's one of his top three tied best goals ever. I give and that it top beats, five. And that beats his goal that won him. What's the award for best goal of the year? The, the Puskas. Puskas Award. That yeah. beats it. That blows that Puskas Award goal out of the water. Nah, see, not for me. I don't know. Are this, you mad? That Puskas Award winning goal didn't even deserve to win the Puskas Award. There yeah, were but, there were many goals better than that one. Whereas yeah. this Salah goal actually is a Puskas Award contender. <laughs> I agree. I, I don't think anyone always agrees with those Puskas Awards. I don't, I'm not sure where they come from. But he's definitely scored I thought Puskas decides goals. them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. Go on. <laughs> um, nah, I definitely think he scored better goals. Especially because he scored more important goals. And maybe that's that's just how I... Okay, take the importance goals. factor out of it, though. In terms of raw skill, this goal had a bit of everything. Yeah. no, And, like, I'm not saying that it's not a great goal. All I'm saying is that people are going crazy, which is fair enough, but I've just had the privilege of watching this man do amazing things for the past three or four seasons. So it's, it's probably just a me problem. Like, You I, say that, though, but... Salah has been fantastic for four seasons now, but there's something about how he's playing right now, which many pundits are saying this is the best form of his career. And that goal, the reason I think it was one of the best goals of his career is because he combined the best elements of some of the other best players in the world that he was surrounded. Just to paint a visual picture, if you haven't seen this goal already, he was surrounded. Which you by should have six- by now, because you've already stopped the podcast and gone to see it. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who don't listen to Delash, I'll still paint the picture <laughs> for you. Um, so Sullivan was surrounded in the box by about six Watford defenders, and they were all closing in right close to him, and he didn't have much room to move. It looked like a typical situation where he was just going to get dispossessed, and Watford would hack it up the field and hope for the best. But he didn't get dispossessed. He made sure to actually somehow dribble out and around these guys towards the um towards the touchline, not the sideline, the what's it called? The goal the byline. 
the byline. Thank you. Yeah. And he got right near there, cut back in, and sent. I think he sent a Watford defender like onto the ground in doing so. Yeah, he always sits someone down. Yeah, it was outrageous. And he then didn't he, sit, he didn't. He didn't sit down a hundred mil like he did last weekend, but that's good <laughs> enough. Oh yeah, he's done it two weeks in a row. So he then tucked it right around the keeper into the corner from a tight angle. So. The reason why I think it was so fantastic is he had the dribbling like Messi, and I, I genuinely mean like Messi. You saw him message you after the game. I said it. That was a Messi dribble. There was no one else in the world who I think could do that right now besides maybe Messi. Maybe St. Maximin as well, just because his dribbling is just on another <laughs> level. And oh, and um, Adama Traore would try, but ultimately fail. And <laughs> Ronaldo, that was a Ronaldo-style finish because that finishing is just really really top i don't think the finishing is actually getting enough credit but the way he curved it around perfectly was beautiful i agree um and yeah that, i mean that goal did have everything from uh close control to dribbling to um a chop back with his right foot to the finish it had pretty much all the elements of a complete striker that you would want to see and honestly, I don't know, maybe this is just going to become uh, another debate in in a month or two where we can debate Salah's <laughs> best goals in top five and if this goal actually makes it into that, into that, well, it'll make it into the conversation, but if it makes it on that list, that'll be Well, you're going to have a hard time when that is a goal of the year contender trying to prove your point. But regardless, the other thing that he did in this match, which is... This alone would have been enough to just be talking mad about him, but it's been overshadowed by the goal. His assist to Mane was unreal. It's crazy, That was the outside right? of the foot, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Do you want to quickly describe actually what happened again, if anyone hasn't seen it? Which you should have by now, because it's going to be part of the same highlight package that you saw before. <laughs> but um, I think we, we picked the ball up um, and... Uh, in our half, um, ball makes its way up to Sally's about on j- just past the halfway line on the right hand touchline. Um, he only has Mane ahead of him, and he has about four other defenders in their defensive shape. And Mane makes his classic darting run from in from like the left hand touchline towards the box. And Salah sees this ahead of time. And he manages to wrap the outside of his foot around the ball and curve it around the defensive line. He weights it perfectly so that it stops like right in the center of the goal. And all Mane has to do is run onto it and apply a finishing pass into the bottom left corner. It was a thing of beauty, all in all. And what really is beautiful about it is that that could have been passed by quite a few players in the Premier League. It could have been passed with the inside of the foot. It could have been curved in. There was many ways that someone in Salah's position there could have got it to Mane. But the way in which he did it set Mane up, like you said, to perfectly pass it into the net. So he thought about this, and you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself to be doing that on the outside of your foot when on the break. And he knew he had the ability. He did it because it would ultimately make the goal easier to score. So not only is that nice chemistry to see between Mane and Salah, but it really goes to show how much confidence Salah has in himself right now. Yeah, and I mean, it it really shows how much he hates Mane. But, um... Wait, what? (laughs) 
was just trying to get a reaction from you. <laughs> I still think there's Loki beef. I'm not going to take that back. Everyone thinks that. Your own subreddit thinks that. <laughs> nah, there is, there is something there. But, yeah, I think what I was going to say seriously about that is I think what the average, or even someone who's, like, just a massive football fanatic, what you don't understand is that players just have this instinct to see a picture in their mind and just execute instantaneously and it's 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 a reflex for them right so Salah has had the ball he's seen this picture in front of him of the the defense in their shape he obviously knows that Mane is going to make that run and he just knows what to do and then obviously to be able to execute it is absolutely insane as well but there's all of these considerations that just happen at a fingertip, right? Like it's right there for them and all they have to do is just do it. Um, but everything he takes into account from like how he's going to curve the ball, um, how much power he applies so that it stops and well, so that it arrives to Mane in such a way that he can easily finish it. And yeah, you, you just don't hear players talk about it enough. Um, but I listen to like James Milner's podcast and things, and he talks about stuff like that a lot about how when a new player comes into the team, it's all about learning their preferences and like how they want to receive the ball, um, what they're going to do with the ball and things like that. And he talked a bit about like, cause obviously he's played all over the, in, in nearly every single position for us. Uh, but I think the season that he was playing left back he talked about how uh, when he was playing with Mane, like Mane wants to receive the ball differently to playing it into Salah because Mane wants to turn with it or he's trying to um, hold off a defender whereas Salah is like trying to pin a defender back. And it's just all of these tiny, tiny things which almost become habit for them because they play with each other every single day. But... I think that's just really underappreciated if you're just watching a game of football. Like, there's so many nuances and little adjustments that they're all making for each other just to make it work. And it's just beautiful to think about that. Yeah, it's very true. I think that that, that gets overlooked a lot when you're in the in the excitement of a game. But I think when you watch the replay, that's when you can really analyze it to that extent and really appreciate exactly how they're ca- trying to cater to each other's styles. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So anyway, a bit of a rant. all good. We've spent um, quite a bit of time on Liverpool, which I don't like to do. So <laughs> moving on, um, how about we quickly jump to Southampton and Leeds? Now, I don't have a lot to say about this game. You might. But the one thing I do want to highlight before we even talk about it is a really cool stat. Southampton have become the first Premier League team to outrun Bielsa's Leeds in a match without red cards. No way. Yep. So Leeds, as we all know, are known for their counter-attacking. They're known for their high pressing. They're known for their fast movement of the ball and how much they're all working hard throughout the game. But they finally got outrun by another team. And it's very surprising because I would not have expected Southampton to be that team. That's unbelievable. I'm I'm just thinking about what kind of punishment Bielsa is going to deal out. In training. 
probably not going to be so mad. Because if he makes them run too much in training, then they'll get outrun again on the weekend because they'll be tired. I, <laughs> so. I don't think that's how he operates. I think he's going to crack out the whip. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's almost unbelievable. I'm just kind of speechless, really. Yeah. So besides that, I don't know if you have anything else to add on that game. I mean, I guess it's just one of those ones where it could have gone either way. And I'm happy for Southampton to get that dub because they have deserved a dub for a little while and their defense has been putting in the really hard yards, especially Livramento, but attack hasn't quite been making up for it. So it's good that they got the dub. Yeah, I agree. Congrats to them for getting that first win of the season. Um, it's wins feel good for any team, but I guess when you're in their position, they must feel even better. Oh, um, look at the Liverpool fan trying to sympathise with people in the bottom half of the table. <laughs> a team in their position. We get it. We get it. You're going to win the Premier League. Or maybe maybe City, but still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I'll add one other thing. Interestingly enough, Adam Armstrong was dropped from Southampton's attack for this game. And considering that they managed to score a goal, a lot of the Southampton fans are starting to doubt whether Armstrong will get started again next game. So... Depending on how things are going for Southampton, this could be the end of Armstrong's run of starts, uh, but we'll have to see. So if you are doing fantasy, be wary of that because he's actually not a guaranteed starter anymore. There's always a fantasy angle. There's always a fantasy angle. (laughs) I can bring fantasy into anything, and I will take that challenge any day of the week. Um, (laughs) Now, another exciting game this week was Wolves versus Villa. I didn't get to watch this, but holy crap, I wish I did. Same. It's um it was a very very topsy turvy game, can we put it that way? Um do you, what what were your thoughts? I mean, like I said, I didn't get to watch the whole thing. I've watched the highlights. I in short think this is a poster match for the Premier League. This is exactly what the Premier League's all about. Wolves brought that fight back. For those of you who don't know, they scored, They were down 2-0 against Villa and they managed to score three goals in the last 10 minutes to stay... Uh, sorry, to take the win and to get those three points. So, honestly, that, my main thoughts are just around that team attitude. You see a lot of teams drop off when they're a goal down and struggle to keep up the fight. And I think Wolves just made a perfect example of what every team should be looking to do if they're trying to go for a draw or a win right at the end of the game because that attitude was just unmatched. I totally agree. And I think that it all just goes back to momentum in sports and how like Aston Villa just seemed in control of the game up until that 80th minute goal by Saiz. And then from then on, it's just a tidal wave from Wolves all the way until the final whistle. And they get their winning goal in additional time. And it wasn't the only game that we've had like that this week either. So I think Mm. when you say that this game is a poster for the Premier League, I think you could almost point to like three or four games this game week. I mean, you definitely could, but I think those three goals in 10 minutes is really what's what's so exciting. And here's a cool stat on that. So, obviously, three goals, you have to have three shots in target. Besides those three goals, they only had one other shot on target the whole game. Wow. So, in terms of converting shots on target to goals, they had a 75% ratio. And 
they really picked it up in those last 10 minutes by literally quadrupling their shots on target. So <laughs> fantastic effort by Wolves. And what's also interesting is that Jimenez was dropped from the starting lineup for this game. Huang started up front. And I think that's just because they were giving Jimenez a break after the international break. And it seemed like it didn't quite work out as well as they wanted it to. I think Jimenez is quite key for Wolves' attack and Huang plays well off him rather than being a lone striker. Yeah, I think Jimenez is probably just used to carrying the flag, if you will, for Wolves. He's done that for the past few seasons. So he's used to that responsibility and what he needs to bring to the team. And like you say, Huang being a slightly newer player, um, probably just needs to grow into the role because he definitely has the ability from what I've seen of him to do that for the team. But yeah, I think for now, he's definitely going to benefit playing uh, just off of uh, Jimenez. Mm. Now, another cool game this week was Leicester versus Man United. I know we're both happy with that result. I'm very happy. And remind me, did we both predict Leicester would win this? Uh, give me two secs. Yeah, if you can just check that. And while you do, I'll just give a quick yes. shout out to Greenwood because there was a fantastic long shot he scored. It was a fantastic goal, but ultimately not enough because... Leicester scored four, and they only scored two. <laughs> and as you know, in football, the team who scores the most goals wins. <laughs> really? Hot take. <laughs> Top-level analysis. Thank you. Um, so did yeah, we both we, predict it? Yeah, we both predicted a Leicester win. Uh, we predicted the same scoreline, which is 2-1 to Leicester. Um, so, so it's pretty I much mean, just double that scoreline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, scale it by two, and we were right. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, Jamie Vardy got on the scoreboard because he is so in form right now. He's having a party. (laughs) It's a never-ending party. And Ronaldo didn't get on the scoreline yet again. And it makes you start to wonder, is he still in his prime like Man United fans thought he kind of was when he joined? And is he really the player that United can rely on to get a top two finish or is he not quite enough at this point in his career? I think he still has it. Um, like, I mean, if you just look at him physically, like he's still there, he's still a top athlete. Uh, it's just a matter of how he fits into this team and how Oli decides to have his team play football. Um, and I don't think they've found that match Um, as of yet maybe it'll come I don't know I I never really saw Ronaldo having an epic season anyway Um, happy to be proven wrong because it's great entertainment even though it probably means that Manu will be doing well but I'm happy to bite that bullet Um, yeah I think I think there's there's still just a bit to work on there in terms of how Ronaldo fits into the team but Manu also have lots of other problems including how they themselves conceded three goals in the last 12 minutes of the game, which is Mm. absolutely insane. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I think the Wolves situation, I don't know, for some reason it just felt like it was more exciting, but that's actually a really good point that Leicester did score three goals in 12 minutes, so definitely also could be called a poster 
a poster game for uh, the Premier League. And interestingly enough, Patson Ducker scored the last goal in the 90 plus one minute. And that makes him the first Zambian to score in the Premier League. He's Zambian. Yeah, so your brother from another mother, because <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Delish is half Zimbabwean, which, if I'm correct, neighbours Zambia. Does it? <laughs> I, if I know I'm that and you don't, sure. then that's, that's, that's worrying. It actually? I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> I'm checking right now. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and while you do, I'll also point out, Man United only had six shots on target out of a total 18 shots. So... Their shot accuracy wasn't fantastic. And I think the other thing here is that you need to be getting more than six shots on target with Ronaldo in your team. I think that what makes Ronaldo such a threat is when he's shooting the ball at the keeper. He's not the best at dropping to defend. He's not um, that kind of player. He's the guy who's going to bang the goals in up front and he's going to do an incredible job. And especially because he's playing striker, uh, not playing left wing. So I think when you've got Ronaldo in your team, you really just need to be getting more shots on the opposition's goal. Because as we know, the more you shoot, the more you score. And so I think what United need to focus on, many things to focus on actually, but attacking wise, I think it's really as simple as shoot more and shoot more accurately. And just go back to the basics because it seems like it's been a pattern in recent weeks for United of struggling to do those two things. I agree. I also think with Ronaldo though, he needs a team that has the ability to create chances for him because like you said, he's not going to be that type of player with all of the energy in the world to dribble through an entire team on his own. Sure, he has that ability and he can pull it out of the bag every once in a while. But he really, like, he needs a team that is as mature as Bayern. Like, if you look at Lewandowski's output, it's all because Bayern as a team can progress the ball up the pitch, put it in the box, and then Lewandowski is just probably one of the best finishers in the game. And he just does his job of putting the ball in the back of the net. And I feel like Ronaldo needs that same kind of environment to hit the numbers that we know he can hit. 100%. I mean, most strikers who've been those really top scorers in history of the big leagues, they've been surrounded by good players. It's not often that you get strikers scoring a crazy amount of goals when they're not surrounded by top talent. And I think the one exception to that in the Premier League from memory would be like Alan Shearer and... He's just on another level, and we've spoken about this before. Probably should speak about it in the podcast, um, how good he was. But I think you're bang on the money there. I think that Ronaldo is lacking good feeds from midfield. I think um, midfield's been lacking for United the last couple of weeks. And they've got the talent. They've got Bruno Fernandes. They've got Pogba. They've got Fred. No, take, take that last one back. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got Pogba and Fernandes. They've got the talent there. Something's just not going right for United right now. They're in a bit of a slump. I don't think it's a talent issue. I think it's a form issue. Yeah, I take it Fred's not making it into your combined 11 then. 
Hey, don't go making assumptions. You're, you, you're <laughs> assuming I'm rating Fabinho higher. <laughs> but anyway, um, we've still got a couple of games I'm keen to talk about. Another one is Chelsea versus Brentford. Now, you know I love throwing in a stat. So Chelsea, in my opinion, were quite lucky to beat Brentford because Brentford had 1.5 expected goals. And Chelsea had 0.3 expected goals. So, no way. Yeah. Was it yes that one-sided? Yeah, it was that one-sided. And Brentford actually had a phenomenal game. And I spoke to my friend Christian, who is a Chelsea fan, and he agreed. He thought Chelsea were quite lucky. Obviously, it was a fantastic goal from Ben Chilwell on the volley. I think it was actually the half volley. but And it was right on the the midst of half time, but Brentford did deserve a goal. In my opinion, they had seven shots on target and I'm pretty sure Mbwemo hit the woodwork yet again to bring it to six hits of the woodwork for him this season. He's beginning to be almost as unlucky as Timo Werner with disallowed goals. Yeah. It's almost becoming his thing that he's owning in the premier league. I know fantasy owners are getting upset about it. And just by the way, in terms of how one-sided this was, Brentford had 17 shots, and of that, seven were on target. Chelsea had five shots, of that, one were on target. So the only shot on target they had was that Ben Chilwell chance. They outpassed and outpossessed Brentford, but that really didn't mean much because they've still been stuck in this kind of defensive mindset, and Brentford really pressed them well, and Chelsea struggled to actually get up into that final third and create those chances. Yeah, I agree. I think overall, I'm just a bit frustrated thinking about Chelsea because they obviously, we've talked about how much talent they have in their squad, yada yada, but they just lack firepower. They lack a bit of creativity at the moment. And it frustrates me because I looked at their fixtures and they're in a prime streak of fixtures. Mm -hmm. So I put Lukaku in my fantasy team. (laughs) You and me both. And... There's nothing happening there. Um, So it's just a bit frustrating. And I think it's really interesting that, again, the only goal in the game came from a left back, Ben Chilwell. Um, So I looked it up and nearly 50% of all of Chelsea's Premier League goals this season have come from non-strikers. Yeah, and is... I think that that shows exactly how their play styles changed the last few weeks. In fact, I'm pretty sure that bes- besides Werner's goal last week, I don't think Chelsea strikers have scored in like four games now. So, And we're eight games into the Premier League, so that makes complete sense. Um, and I know we disagree slightly on what the root cause here is, and... All I'll say is we can talk more about this in over or underrated <laughs> because <laughs> there'll definitely be a, a time and place to be talking about this. But I, I personally think, in short, it's not a creativity issue. It's a, it's a flawed system because you can't overly rely on one man, which they're trying to do. I feel like we'll expand on that later on. Yeah, I didn't want to give too much away <laughs> and start a whole other topic. Um, okay. But if we're going to talk about that later, should we move on to... Uh, I personally don't have much to say on Newcastle Spurs, besides good that good for Spurs, they got to win. <laughs> um, 
But I, I'm quite keen to just talk about Arsenal Palace if you are. Yeah, sure. I think the one thing I had to say about Spurs is just looks like Kane and Son are getting themselves back into a bit of form, which is pretty exciting. Um, I mean, you can say that, but it was Newcastle they're playing who are not a very good team defensively this season. I mean, that can sometimes be what it takes just to get a bit of confidence back in the team and whatnot. But yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. Good that Spurs I, I, got well, their three yeah. points. I think definitely true, but I wouldn't jump to conclusions about <laughs> Kane's Kane's form. I, I definitely need to see more from him still. Um, and with Arsenal versus Palace, so I've got a few things to say. Do you mind if I go in my little... You take the floor, Mr. My Sorry. little spiel. So firstly, I actually want to start by saying the fact that McCarthy did not get a red card for what he did to Saka is a disgrace by the Premier League. Any other player, especially someone like Xhaka does that, it's a red card and potentially three games banned. And for those of you who don't know what happened, the ball was up in the air, it was falling down, and it was near Arsenal's goal. Saka was pretty much right under it, and the ball was still fairly high in the air coming down. And McCarthy, not even looking at the ball, the replay show, he was not looking at the ball. He knew it was coming down, but he wasn't looking at it. And McCarthy just goes straight for a kick into the back of Saka's leg. He just cleans him out. And this ended up with Saka getting subbed off at halftime and potentially injured. We're waiting to find out more. And there wasn't a red card. And it just blows my mind that something like that can be no red card. But David Louise, last season for us, literally not even touching the opponent in the box, which all the replays in VAR showed, still gets a red card for seemingly nothing. It's just such inconsistent standards. And I think, I mean, we've had this VAR round many times. You've heard it in other places, but it's a disgrace. And especially when it ended with Saka getting a, um, a potential injury and getting subbed off. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's just so much inconsistency. And you'll hear it from any professional athlete. All they're looking for from their refereeing body is some level of consistency. And again, we'll just touch on VAR, but that's what VAR was meant to give to this game. It was meant to give an added level of consistency between refereeing standards by allowing referees to review decisions that they've made and hopefully take away some of the the heat from the moment and decisions that can be made um, out of that. Did they even go back and look at that challenge with VAR? Um, I, I, I genuinely got a bit caught up in the moment. I don't quite remember, but I don't think they did. Um, which is, so which is horrible, poor. right? But I, like, I think it's also because it wasn't in the box. That should not make it difference i agree um but i think it's just it's less influential i'm not too surprised mike dean was the referee (laughs) 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 and we all know how mike dean is viewed by Mm. many um but anyway that's only one gripe i have i guess the other gripe i personally have is that arsenal let's get away from them they started with a great albamyang poach goal um from a pepe chance that was parried and we had 
the ball in our court. We had the opportunity to play attacking football, get a second, and maybe even go for a third and be dominant. But we just kind of started to take our foot off the gas. It's just something that Arsenal's become known for since pretty much the Emery era. We, we aren't a team who keeps pushing, 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 aside from the odd game like the Spurs game the other week. We took our foot off the gas. We let Palace get control of the game, which they really took control in the second half. And we struggled to get it back right until the very end when Lacazette scored that great final grasps of the game draw. I was going to say winner, but it's not. It was a draw. Drawer. <laughs> it was a drawer. Drawer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think just disappointing. Ateta acknowledged that straight away in the post-match interview, which is good. I, I'm personally, I'm at the point where if Ateta can acknowledge what went wrong and say that's what they're going to work on, I'm happy because that's better than anything Emery ever did and what Ateta was doing for the first few months. We're just like shoving these issues under the bus. And so I'm happy that he's acknowledged that they took their foot off the gas and that needs to change. Um, so that's my main thoughts. Yeah, I think my only thoughts on the game were I was watching it uh, while I had some stuff going on at work at the start of my day um, because <laughs> we watch football games. Oh, well, this game was between 8 and 10 a.m. for us. Um, Bright so and I early. Missed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I missed bits and pieces of it, but I managed to catch sort of the last, I'll call it the mayhem of the last two or three minutes. And there was definitely a lot of tension in the air. Um, and for me, the thing that stood out was just seeing Patrick Vieira crumble to the floor mm. after Lacazette scored the equalizing goal. Just the way that he... Uh, you you can only just imagine the emotions that were going through him, but he just... You know what he did? He deflated. He literally <laughs> deflated. You're right, he did. It was like someone just sucked knees. all the air out of him. And it's like he was one of those blown up um, things you see outside car dealerships, like the swerving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he just deflated. That's 100% it. And, I mean, fair play. His guys played incredibly. He's had much less time with this Crystal Palace team with worse talent than Arteta's had with Arsenal. And he's got them playing great football. So I can completely understand why he was really disappointed with that that last-minute goal, which took away the win for them. But to be fair, if you're Crystal Palace going to the Emirates, I think the draw is still a good result at the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> they will, um, they'll take the point. It obviously feels like they've dropped a couple and you guys have won a point. But nevertheless, um, if when they look back... Uh, at the end of the season, they'll say, yeah, it was a good point to take. Definitely. And before we move on to over-underrated, I would also just give Lacazette a shout-out. He has been getting quite a lot of shtick from people recently, but he came on and he changed the game from Arsenal's side. Did he take back control for Arsenal of the whole game? Not at all. And it was too late for Arsenal to get back control. But he did manage to actually create some exciting opportunities playing through the middle of the pitch, and he actually had a couple of great chances. He was unlucky not to get a, a second goal. He it got it was a good save by Guaita, but ultimately he was fantastic. And I think he did make a case for himself 
to potentially be a starter in certain games. And I think that's one thing that Arteta really needs to work on is knowing when to use Alba and when to use Lucker because they're two very different strikers. Sometimes they work great together in tandem, but ultimately you've got three possible cases. You can start Alba, you can start Lucker, or you can start them both. And he needs to know when to do which because lately he's been not getting it quite right. And this is one of those games where Lacazette would have been much more beneficial overall throughout the game than Albama Young, but ideally he should have started them both in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. But um, can I just... 2020. I will just finish on that actually. Yeah, fair. Can I just say I'm kind of annoyed that he didn't finish that chance where Gaeta amazingly saved. because um, I've seen him score harder goals against Liverpool from more impossible angles. <laughs> he, it's his personal pastime going and scoring those crazy goals against Liverpool. <laughs> um, oh, one other thing. I posted it on our Twitter because we have started our Twitter at part time gaffers. And just an interesting stat Christian Benteke has scored or assisted in three out of his four last starts versus Arsenal. And he's got four goals plus assists in those four starts. So. For a guy who we give a lot of of nonsense to, because um, he deserves it, yeah, he somehow shows up against Arsenal recently, <laughs> so it's just quite irritating. Um, but what can you do? He is just that kind of player who gets on our nerves, and he's done it for quite a few years now. Hey, unfortunately for him, he doesn't play Arsenal every single game week. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and that, that's shown by his total goal tally at the end of most seasons. But nevertheless, let's get on to overall underrated. Welcome back. And we're going to kick straight into overall underrated. I'll hand over to you, Delesh. And the way that this works, if you don't know, is we each have two players this week who we're going to bring up. And we're going to have a quick discussion if we think that player is over or underrated. Or on the odd chance, they might actually just be fairly rated, and we'll try to justify why. So over to you, Delesh. Who's your first player? He's not actually a player. Um, I've oh. gone for a Premier League manager, and the first one I want to put out to you is Vieira as a manager over or underrated? Under, 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 sorry. I was stuttering because <laughs> there was so much about to come through my brain there. But that is exactly how underrated he is. Three times underrated. I think he's massively underrated. He, I think he was Nice's manager before he went to Palace, if I've gotten that correct. Or it might have been another French team. Check. Keep going. But um, check. he didn't have the best run there. But since he's come to Crystal Palace, he's been fantastic. Like I just said in the in the review section just before, he had a arguably worse group of players than some other Premier League managers have had, like Arteta and Erle, um, to work with. And yet he's spun them around in a really quick amount of time, and they're playing really good to watch and exciting football most of the time. So I think, yeah, he's done fantastically, and he's not talked about enough. Underrated in my book. Yeah, and you are correct. He was manager of Nice before. I'm surprised I got that, if I'm honest. (laughs) He is an Arsenal legend, so I'm not that surprised. Yeah, there was actually a debate this week on the Arsenal subreddit whether he should be getting a statue outside the Emirates. And the consensus is that maybe he should, but he's in a line behind quite a few other people who should first because during his time at Arsenal, he 
potentially was like looking for moves to other teams quite a lot and he wasn't as loyal as the others and wasn't he, he your captain yeah but he was regularly looking um for other teams to move to and on top of that um there are just other players who deserve a statue ahead of him and had a stronger connection with the fans not to say he didn't have a good connection but the likes of Bergkamp and Pat Rice deserve a statue over Vieira um but hey if if we get bought out and we get a nice paycheck and we can buy lots of statues yeah give him one maybe maybe even give RVP one <laughs> because <laughs> RVP will be the last to get one and if we can afford to give everyone a statue then he can have one too unpopular opinion but yeah, I'm okay. just trying to trigger any Arsenal fans <laughs> listening. <laughs> you know what? I think have a separate section of the Emirates where it's just Samir Nasri and RVP, and they get given their own statues. Uh, go for it. I yeah. <laughs> but you replace their heads with the poo emoji. There we go. Um, no, that's sour of me. Anyway, what do you think about Vieira? I totally agree with you. I think. Um, yeah, he's just done an unbelievable job with this Palace team. I remember watching them um, even last season um, and definitely at the start of this season. Sorry, I couldn't watch them last season. <laughs> I'm not making any sense. What I meant to say... <laughs> what I meant to say was that at the start of his time at Crystal Palace, they just really looked very disjointed. They weren't playing it honestly didn't look like they were playing football. It just looked like they were playing kickball. Um, whereas now when you watch the team, they're playing very fluid football, um, especially on the counter-attack. They seem very deadly as they proved um, against Arsenal this morning. And I just think the work that he's done is being a bit underappreciated at the moment, um, albeit only nine games in to his career at Crystal Palace. But... I think that his record is only going to improve and then people will probably start taking notice a bit more. But for now, underrated. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my first player that I'll bring up, I'm actually going to leave Lukaku till second. I'm going to go with Salah first. And I hate to be the guy to just throw two big names in there this week, but I've got a good reason for both. So the reason I bring up Salah, and I'll actually get to my reason first. What do you think? Over or underrated? I think Mohamed Salah is fairly rated. <laughs> oh, of course you would do this. Uh, so what's your reasoning for that? Do you think he's just, there's a lot of hype around him already and he's just living up to expectations? Yeah, I think it's pretty much bang on the head, right? Like I was, I was trying to think about, oh, is he overrated? He's not really because based on form... He's living up to all the hype. He's been amazing. And you can't really say that he's underrated because people expect him to be doing these things now. So I think based on, if you want to call it like supply and demand or like expectation and delivery, he's delivering on expectations because as unfair as it might be, we expect to see magical things from him week in, week out. Definitely, that's true. Um, I feel like I, you're about to say something very controversial. I think he is 
obviously underrated. And (laughs) the reason for that is, and it's really interesting we're taking the opposite sides of this coin, given who we support, but I think he's underrated because he is not talked about up there with Ronaldo, Messi, and Lewandowski. And I think as of the last two seasons, he should be competing with Lewandowski for that Ballon d'Or. I think Lewandowski, for me, still should be ahead of him because the number of goals that Lewandowski scores is just outrageous. Even for yeah. a Farmers League, it's just outrageous. Um, and he yeah, keeps those performances up rate. in the Champions League as well. So it's clear that he's not just performing in Bundesliga. So for me, Lewandowski is that number one contender for Ballon d'Or. And if he doesn't get it, I think he's been a bit screwed out of it. But I think second place by a margin for me is Salah. And this is a guy who his Premier League re-debut, he scored 32 goals and 36 appearances. And since then, he's followed up by going 22, 19, and 22, and arguably three of the most competitive seasons in the Premier League ever. So when you compare those goal tallies that he's been doing in the recent years to the big goal tallies we saw in the early 2000s and late 90s of some strikers, you have to consider it was less competitive then than it is today. And all things considered, 22 goals is outstanding. So I do think that he's been underrated previously, and I still think he's underrated because he's not talked about with those other greats of the game today, and he should be. This is a guy, again, who... He started this season and he's got seven goals and eight appearances. That's outrageous. I think I read a stat about um, his goal contribution and he's averaging a goal contribution every 60 minutes at the moment in the Premier League. Yeah, I think I saw that. Which is insane. Yeah. The, the season that he scored... 32 goals, which is a couple seasons ago now. Um, across that whole season, he averaged a goal contribution every 65 minutes. So he's beating he's beating that pace at the moment, albeit across eight games. But he's just, ah, oh, he's on fire. What yeah. I will say is, again, and it's not completely reflective of what's happening right now, but him scoring 19 goals last season is severely underrated uh 22 last Um, season sorry sorry 19 the season before you're making my point for me (laughs) but 22 (laughs) goals last season in a team in a Liverpool team that was riddled with injuries changes lack of consistency from the midfield backwards for him to still pull out those numbers was absolutely crazy and I don't think he gets enough credit for that yeah, I, I agree. And actually, if you count his European appearances and cup appearances as well, he scored 31 goals in 51 appearances. So for every five games he played, he scored three goals. And this was in a Liverpool team riddled with injuries. So not only does that show how class he is, it shows how he's able to still perform at his best, even when those around him aren't necessarily at their best, whether that's because they're out of form or because the team is just riddled with some injuries and you don't have the starting 11 around him. And yeah, that's that's pretty much why I think he's underrated. It's I think he's meeting expectations, 
But even though he's meeting these expectations, he's not talked about the same way that these other greats are talked about when they meet their expectations. So, yeah, for me, he's underrated, and I think he's a number two for the Ballon d'Or contender by margin. Fantastic. Um, the second, well, well, the first player that I'm putting to you, my second name that I'm putting to you is Alexandra Lacazette. Ooh. Um, I'm going to say underrated because he came to the Premier League as a guy people thought would be an out-and-out goal scorer and he'd be getting the bigger numbers each season in the tw- in the 20s for total goals. But that's ultimately not what the role he's playing in the team is. He, his role in Arsenal, for the most part, is kind of similar to the role of Firmino at Liverpool. No, he's not a false nine who creates space behind him for the wings to run into. It's not quite the same. But a big thing for Lacazette is link-up play. And he's able to do that for us like no one else in the team quite can. Maybe Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe are starting to show that they can fill that role. But whenever Lacazette needs to... Whenever we need link-up play and we bring in Lacazette, he usually performs in that regard, even if his finishing's not fantastic. So I think that he's judged on the wrong criteria. Judging Lacazette by the amount of goals he's scoring for Arsenal is the same as judging Firmino, Firmino on that criteria, and that's just not fair. Because if you do, then Firmino looks like a pretty average striker or a pretty average forward for you guys, and it's just not right. So for me, it's a simple case of, if you judge Lacazette on what his role in the team is, I think he's underrated and he does quite a good job. Yeah, I was going to hit along the same lines. I actually think he's being heavily underrated by Arteta. Mm. I think he should be getting a lot more game time than what he is currently. I mean, I watched as much of the Arsenal game as I could this morning and it was really good to see Aubameyang tracking back, having a lot more energy defensively um, and really putting in a good shift uh, on the defensive side of things. But Lacazette just brings a different energy to your team. Mm. And I think when things aren't going so well, he's he has the type of personality to stand up to that and want to change it and actively do something to change it. Whereas Aubameyang can be a bit more of a passive player at times. And that's it works great for him. It's just part of who he is. But I think something that you guys would need right now is someone just to stand up and be counted and really just try and make a difference and be proactive about things. And that's what he brings to any team that he's part of. Yeah, I fully agree. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Aubameyang is... A fantastic player when the team is playing well and when the fans are really into it and when we're um, just in the right, we've got the right atmosphere around us and the right energy. He thrives off others' energy, but Lacazette is the one who can create the energy more so. Obviously, some some match days he he has an off day and he's not quite in it, and that does happen to players who aren't world-class because no one's here claiming he's a world-class player. But for the most part, when I watch him play, like you said, he brings that energy and he brings that right attitude and he fights. And that's why often he gets called um, our big match player and he shows up when we need him to. And he's done that on multiple occasions for us. 
and it hasn't been quite as appreciated as I think it should be. So I think we're quite on the same page there, and I agree with what you said about Arteta. I think he doesn't give Lacazette enough credit and doesn't give him enough starts, and there's definitely a place for him in the team because when we do lack that channel through the middle of the pitch rather than the wings, he's the one who often opens that up for us when other players look towards the outside for their creativity and he looks towards the middle and that can be key for Aubameyang. So I completely agree. Awesome. Who do you have for me? Well, I've already said Lukaku. Um, What do you think? Overrated. (laughs) Why so? I just think, I don't, I mean, I get that he, he's been great outside of the Premier League. I just think that he's a bit too clunky at times. Like, <laughs> Sounds like a FIFA term. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm not sure how to articulate this, but I just think that for all of the attention and all of the all of the praise that he gets i don't think he backs it up as much as he should and i know that he scored bucket loads of goals at inter and he's done amazing things in other leagues and especially for belgium as well but it's ju- just what i've experienced of him i don't think he's he's delivered going back to what players deliver based on what's expected of them um, I don't think he delivers as much as what is expected of him. Um, and that's why I'd say overall he's overrated. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say he... I'm not going to say he's over. He's underrated. But I'm going to say I think he's fairly rated. And the reason for that is he did start strong at Chelsea. And when Chelsea were playing attacking football and they had the likes of Havertz and Mount driving that midfield attack and Lukaku was playing as a lone striker, things were working really well for them. And I see exactly where you're going with this. Uh, yep. And <laughs> when did things change? Well, it's when Chelsea moved to a more defensive style. Obviously, they had some injuries. I understand that. But they moved to a defensive style. And suddenly, Tuchel is forcing that front two with Werner up there as well. And again, I was speaking to my mate Christian, Chelsea fan, and he completely agrees with me on this. Those two just don't quite work together. They're not two strikers who have the right chemistry to be a front two together. And you'd think, oh, they probably should be because Lukaku's big and really good at shooting and Werner's really pacey and also good at shooting. So they should be able to work well together. But there's something that just doesn't quite click when you watch them. It just doesn't look natural. And maybe it needs time to develop or maybe it's just not quite right. Maybe it's Maybelline. Who knows? But the point is, <laughs> I don't think Lukaku's to blame. When I watch Chelsea, it's the failure of... It's two things. Firstly, it's the failure of Chelsea's midfield and when they push up the wing to actually provide Lukaku with good opportunities. And secondly, it's the fact that the Premier League teams, unlike Serie A, are really closing down Lukaku and not giving him the space he needs. In Serie A, it was a lot more forgiving. He could take a slightly heavier touch. It was fine. He could easily beat one defender who he's being marked by. But it seems like oppositions are closing Lukaku down specifically because they know that's Chelsea's sole, almost sole 
creative output right now. So yeah, I think for, I think for me, the issue is Chelsea, not Lukaku. And if Lukaku was being played with the right tactics and in the right natural position for him as sole striker, we'd be seeing better. And I think maybe he will be overrated this season, but I think it's too early to tell until Chelsea return to that attacking style. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Rant over. <laughs> I got you. I got you, boy. I got you, Lukaku. I got you back. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, you, you do bring up a good point in that a player is... A player can be hindered or be boosted by the system of the team that they're playing in. Like, there's no chance Salah would be anywhere near as successful as he is right now if Liverpool played in any different way. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, when you bring up the stuff about Lukaku's touch being a bit heavy, I think though that's something that, I really knock him down for because as a Premier League player, as just any level of professional footballer, let alone in the Premier League leading one of the top clubs, you're meant to have a decent level of control of the ball. (laughs) And I think for him, there's a few too many montages and highlight packages of him just completely miscontrolling the ball but to be fair most of those are from his man united days he has gotten a lot better i've seen him do it a couple of times at chelsea and i know (laughs) i know that he can get away with it because he's got big body and he he makes up for it in other ways and he's still effective and that's just the way he plays football like i'm not going to stop that i just think that there's areas to his game which are unrefined and he gets a bit too much credit sometimes but anyway, mm. I, I totally get your point on the system that they're playing right now, and it's not yeah, it's not built for him to succeed in the ways that we're expecting. Mm. So ultimately, it's probably a bit of a hybrid of both of our takes on it. What's what's ultimately happening there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that brings us to the combined eleven. Welcome back. It's combined 11 time. This week we're doing Liverpool versus Manchester United, which is one of the oldest rivalries in Premier League. Nay. (laughs) (laughs) Who invited a horse onto this podcast? (laughs) Nay. Nay. One of the the what? Nay, one of the what? (laughs) Nay. League one. No, nay, Division One, <laughs> League one. English football. <laughs> what am I talking about? I, do you want to get to what you're trying to say? History. What I'm trying to say is we're going to essentially pick a combined eleven, which is mostly made out of Liverpool players, right, David? Probably, but let's get to it. What position are we starting with? How about we go front to back? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, who's your front three? Because we're doing a four-three-three formation. Yeah, yeah. So I've gone for a four-three-three. I feel like this the f- so my forwards and my mids are gonna surprise you, but we'll see. So I've gone for Mane left wing, Salah right wing, and Ronaldo up top. That doesn't surprise me at all. I did the exact same thing. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> ultimately Ronaldo can play that <laughs> false nine role, um. So. 
I, I'm fine with that. Great. Uh, midfield three, I've gone for Fabinho, Firmino, playing slightly ahead, and Van der Beek. What? <laughs> there it is. You put the guy who doesn't even get started by United, and I agree, he should be, but he's lacking some match experience recently. You're going to put him in the squad over the likes of Pogba and Fernandez? 100%. Okay, that's where we're going to disagree, because my my middle three, I agree on Fabinho, but my other two are Fernandez and Pogba. No way. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm I'm a man of negotiation and I'm a man <laughs> of strategy. So I'm not giving up Fernandez. Um I'm just letting you know that right now. But I will give up Pogba because he's been a little bit out of form since the start of the season. And I'll trade Pogba for Firmino. I'll give you that. So ultimately what we're doing here is we're saying for Fabino at holding mid and Fernandez and Firmino at attacking mid. Yeah. Okay, I actually I like quite that like combo. that. I think yeah, I like I'm quite excited combo. by a Fernandez Fabino mix. Uh not Fabino, uh Firmino. <laughs> <laughs> Say all three ten times. <laughs> no, I'm gonna have a seizure. <laughs> okay. Um okay, so we've agreed on our midfield three. I'm glad this one's going quite quickly. And then the rest of it just sorts itself out, right? Robert yeah, Matip, Verge, Trent, and Allison. Yeah, I've gone for the Liverpool back four <laughs> and Allison. Um, look, this sounds harsh for the listeners who are United fans. This sounds really harsh, but let's be realistic. Position by position, it's hard to justify any players to be in this combined eleven from United besides Ronaldo and Fernandez. And you could make an argument for Pogba. I'll tell you what I won't hear. I won't hear an argument for Luke Shaw because that guy finished last season the best left back in the Premier League. And so far this season, he hasn't contributed that much. Defensively, United are pretty awful right now. And quite, uh, I'd say their defense is definitely letting down the team. And attacking wise, he hasn't actually produced much output. So I can't see why he'd be in there over Robbo, who is a solid defender and does produce good attacking output and chances. I agree. Um, and all we really need to say is, man for man, that back five, individually, they beat their Manchester United counterparts at the moment. And that's all that needs to be said. Actually, really. no, I'm going to make one little controversial statement here. I think there's a case for putting De Gea in. No. Just, just no. I didn't say I would. I just think there is a case for it. He actually has been in really good form this season. He's been in really good form this season. Like, he has. He's made some outstanding saves. And if anything, he's the shining light in United's defense right now. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think there's a case. But we agree. Allison's still above, obviously. And I think the other thing United fans will be thinking is, what about Varane? And my response to that is you can't just buy a world-class defender and say he deserves to be in a combined 11 because he was world-class just before you bought him. Let's be real. Let's, let's face facts. He hasn't performed as well as United fans probably have expected him to perform. And Matip, as you said last week, I think has actually been Liverpool's best defender. So 
he's not going to beat Verge and he's not going to beat Matip. There's no place for him. Exactly. And <laughs> on, the, on, on the Matip thing, he is a very close second favorite player in this Liverpool team for me. Like the giraffe is amazing. Is, so the giraffe is now your second favorite Liverpool player. Right now he is. I freaking love him. <laughs> I can't get enough of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair uh, enough. I actually I don't focus on him enough when Liverpool are playing, but he has been outstanding. I'm gonna make sure to watch him more closely. Please do. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I also still need to fo- follow that meme page that you mentioned. Oh uh, um, yes. No context, Joel Matter. Yeah, in fact, go, go do out. that. Go do that now, just before we get onto predictions. Welcome back to Quickfire Predictions now, and we've got some interesting games coming up next week. Again, just like every week, Delish and I haven't actually looked at the fixtures too too hard ahead of time, so these are really quick fire, and we're giving our honest thoughts. So, Delish, what is the first game of the next game week? Kicking us off in game week nine, we have Arsenal versus Aston Villa. Arsenal at home. Ooh, for me, that is, after this weekend, I know that Arsenal are going to come back with fire in their belly. I hate that expression, but it's it's now been recorded. Um, we'll roll with it. <laughs> we'll roll with it. The fire in the belly. Um, for me, that's a two, a, ooh, a 2-1 to Arsenal. Danny Ings is going to somehow get a goal. Interesting. Okay, yeah, because my gut was two all, which I could uh, okay. feel you on the verge of saying as well. No, I was going to say two nil. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to all draw. I feel like Arsenal still a bit shaky defensively. Um, oh, Aston... get out. Let me finish I... my sentence. I will, and then I'm going to roast you. Go for it. Let me finish my sentence. And if Aston Villa can learn from the way Crystal Palace played against them... They could nab a couple of goals too. Roast me. I'll roast you because Arsenal in their last five games have only actually conceded two key chances. Um, We've been keeping good clean sheets, arguably, yes, against easier teams, but we've kept clean sheets when other big teams have failed to against these teams. And on top of that, the fact that we've only conceded two key chances in five games, that's the stat I read today, really speaks a lot. We've actually been really solid defensively. We haven't been too leaky. Today we got unlucky because Palace, like you said earlier, put in a couple of great counter-attacks. But besides that, pretty pretty good defensively. So I won't have any of that nonsense, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about two key chances. I mean, you guys threw away a win today, so... Okay, I'll, moving I'll on because it's quick anyway, fire. Leave yes. me alone. <laughs> uh, Chelsea Norwich. How do we see that one going? I don't I'm know why I'm keep... thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it. I want Chelsea to score some goals in the hope that Lukaku is going to bag a couple. So I'm going 3 0. Yeah, I, I'm not going to overthink this one. I think Chelsea 3 0 as well. I'm going to agree with you. And. I'm not going to captain Lukaku in fantasy. I'm still going to captain Salah against Man United. Of course. (laughs) Don't trust Lukaku at all. Uh, Next up, Crystal Palace, Newcastle. Ooh. um, For me, that's a Crystal Palace 2-1 because they're at home. Yeah, I was going to go the same thing. Um, 
Next up, Everton Watford. Um, Everton Watford. I'm gonna say Everton three nil. I think it's gonna be a big week for them. Actually, no, sorry, three one. I can see someone like Saar getting on the scoreboard for Watford because Everton are a bit shaky defensively. I think two nil to Everton. Okay. I think Watford still going to be licking their wounds. <laughs> <laughs> Not for long uh, under Ranieri. <laughs> true. Uh, Leeds Wolves. Uh, what do you oh, think this on this one? Let's this think one's for a second. Interesting. Uh, gut feeling. I'm going to go 3 2 again to Wolves. I also think this is going to be a high-scoring game because both of these teams play good counter-attacking football and both of these teams are weaker defensively. So I'm actually going to say, because the, you see these games happen for Leeds once every few games, I think this is going to be a 4-3 to Leeds. 4-3 Leeds. If that ends up being the scoreline, you do not want to miss that game. <laughs> And I'm going to chuck a bet on that one as well, actually. <laughs> uh, Southampton, Burnley. Ooh. You see, a few weeks ago, I would have been like, oh, this is going to be a dead rubber. But the way Southampton are playing, I think 2-0 to Southampton. Really? Yeah. I'm going to call it a dead rubber. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Southampton continue their winning streak. We'll see. Mm. So you think it's going to be nil all? Yeah, I think nil all. Would that be the third nil all in a row for Burnley? Or am I mixing them up with Norwich, uh, which I think I am? Let me fact check that. Well, oh, no, because they just lost the City to nil. Then they drew with Norwich nil all and drew with Leicester two all. No, it's Norwich who has had a couple of dead rubbers. Um, yeah, so what's after that game? Brighton against City. That is a fantastic game, and I'm this really is, looking forward to this that. It's going to be one to watch for sure. Uh, how am I going with this? I think I think Brighton pull out a draw, and I think it's going to be a one-one draw. I'm going to say a two-two draw. Nice. But I agree on the draw. I was actually about to say Brighton two-one, but I just can't see City letting that slip. So, yeah, it's a two-all for me. Hmm. Um, West Ham, Tottenham. Um, damn, these are games are these so are tough. tough to predict. I remember back in the days when most of the games you could actually just predict pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, because you had your top six, and then it's like they're just probably going to win or draw every yeah. single weekend. Now you have your top sixteen. <laughs> West Ham, Tottenham. I'm going to give it to West Ham three two. Three two, West Ham. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for a draw. I see a two-two draw. Okay. Yeah. Brentford Leicester. Oh, oh my, word. my Here's goodness! Another, another good game. Um. What do you think? I'm I'm thinking Brentford are winning this one. Two-one. I was literally about to say yeah, Brentford two-one. Lock it in for both of us. Great. And finally. Menu Liverpool. I think this is 3-1 to us. This is a tough one for me because on the one hand, Liverpool are in great form and 
I just know, like, Salah's in great form, Mane's in great form, your defence is in great form. It's just, I can't see Liverpool losing this. But on the other hand, United have just drawn two and lost one, and they're playing at home at Old Trafford. I think it's after two games on the road. No, no, it's just one game on the road. I just feel like they're going to also have fire in their belly. So I actually am going to say a two-all draw. Interesting. Yeah, it's always a tight game when we go to Old Trafford, so you have mm. you have a good chance with that one. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, so what if we hang on? If you give me a couple secs, I'll just yeah, go for it. I think I think we actually agreed on most of the winners for this. The difference was just in the score lines. Yeah, I'm just. Gonna Which means ultimately, either we're both going to be really good this week, or both not so good this week. But one of us probably won't outdo the other too much. Pull down my formulas. <laughs> Delish is busy doing his Excel calculations. In fact, we're going to take a tiny, tiny. Oh, I'm ready. Oh, I'm, I was about to, to go. cut and take a break and make it come straight back for the listeners. But you go ahead. We're good to go, man. I was going to say that we have. Uh, we've predicted one, two, three, seven games the same this week. In terms of winner? Uh, yeah. Or like result? Result, result. Right. Interesting. Which are the three that we're differing on? We differed on the Southampton Burnley. Um, I really need to format this in a more <laughs> way. <laughs> Uh, we differed on Arsenal Villa as well, uh, and and West, West Ham Tottenham. Tottenham, yeah, yeah. See, mate, you don't always need a spreadsheet. Sometimes, if you just train your brain, then your old noggin's all you need. <laughs> but yeah, I guess those are our predictions for next week. I think. What are your top three games of the week? I think it's pretty obvious for me. Mine are Brighton, Brighton City, Brentford, Le- Leicester, and United Liverpool. Yeah, I was going to go for the exact same. Um, especially, honestly, especially that Brighton City one. That's going to be fascinating. Yeah, and I did say Leeds will... We both said Leeds Wolves will have a few goals, in our opinion. But for some reason, just because there's more goals doesn't mean it's a more exciting game. I think tactically the other three are going to be more exciting to watch. And that wraps it up for another episode of the Part-Time Gaffers podcast. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks for joining us once again. And hopefully we'll be able to interact with you during the week or before you hear from us in the podcast again, David. Yes. So we've got our Twitter up and running. We are at part-time gaffers and you'll know who is tweeting because I'm finishing my tweets with D9 and I think you're D8. D8 indeed. Yes, I got that correct. I, I knew your number. Every Everyone who plays football has a number they identify with, and I knew yours was eight. And yeah, so you know who's tweeting, and we're just going to be putting out some interesting stats that we come across and some thoughts on what's been happening and thoughts and lead up to the game. So watch out for that. Give us a follow and interact with us. Reply. Let us know if you agree or disagree. And one other thing we haven't mentioned in a while is our email. It's always open. Parttimegaffers at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. If you want us to talk about your opinion on the podcast and what you think, please email us. And I'm 
sure we will definitely be mentioning it and either agreeing heavily or disagreeing strongly with you. So please get in touch don't with us. Don't scare them away, David. We want to email him. <laughs> I don't think we're too scary with um, if we disagree with them. But uh, yeah, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you're hearing from us, go give us a good review on any of the platforms in which you're listening to us, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. So like Dilesh said, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. See ya.